Hello and welcome to the CIE podcast. My name is Scott and I'm an educational developer at CIE. In this episode, we'll be discussing our transition over to our new VLE canvas. Um, we've previously been using a VLE called Vital, as it's known, um, and that's our current virtual learning environment, Blackboard, which we've had since the day we started using a VLE at Liverpool. And we've recently been making a switch to Canvas with some pilot courses and staff members. Delighted to introduce our guests today. We've got Dr. Freya Jarman, uh, Dr. Andy Bates, Dr. Laura Corner and Dr. Gary Brown. If you wouldn't mind all just um, giving us a quick introduction of yourselves and your departments and also your first impression of Canvas, if you wouldn't mind. Hi, yes, so I'm Laura Corner. I'm a lecturer in the Department of Engineering. I haven't been using Canvas to teach yet. I am going to be teaching in the autumn of 2020 um, a second year module on the computer programming language MATLAB with about 200 students in it. So I've been transferring my module from Vital to Canvas and I think my first impression of Canvas looks a lot more modern than Vital, which when you open it up is a looks quite an old fashioned text based interface now, whereas Canvas looks much more something like people are used to in in sort of like more uh, a better interface that, that looks more modern. I would say that was my first impression. Thank you, Andy. Uh, yes, my name is Andy Bates. I'm from the School of Life Sciences and uh, I was involved in sort of the first round of piloting Canvas. I did uh, a practical module uh, for second year biochemists. There were about 90 students in the first half of semester two last year. And um, I uh, was particularly interested in the group work aspects because the, the students work in the lab as groups and then they write up uh, a report also as groups. And uh, so I was interested in the group work and I was interested in, in a tool called BuddyCheck, terrible name, but which does peer evaluation of contributions to group work and uh, that's something we had done previously with another much clunkier tool but uh, I can tell you more about BuddyChat later maybe but it integrates very smoothly with Canvas. So my impressions were that everything was very smooth and I agree with Laura about the sort of look and feel uh, of um, of Canvas. It looks a lot cleaner and nicer when you first, when you first look at it and it's probably uh, more easily customizable anyway in terms of what, we, what it actually looks like. So I liked that about it. That's great. Thanks, Freya. Come to you next. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Freya Jarman. I'm a reader in music, um, uh, in the music department here. I was teaching a module for second year undergraduates called Music, Gender and Sexuality during the second semester of last year. And uh, again, my immediate impressions were positive, particularly in terms of the aesthetics. And I think as a result or sort of alongside that, the ease of use, I guess the first thing I really was drawn to was how much it invites participation. There are all sorts of little mechanisms in there that, that kind of invite you to think about students being actively engaged with the VLE. Thank you. Finally, Gary. Yeah, I'm Gary Brown. I'm from the uh, management school in the university, uh, currently director of online programs, um, primary remit for looking after the purely online programs for the management school and managing the transition from a, an existing partner um, to a new partner. Um, so I'd stepped into this in that context, uh, partly with a view to understanding better what Canvas um, had available, um, whether or not what we were planning to do with Canvas had anything in particular that could be learned in respect of what we we're doing with the online provision. 
At one point we were having conversations about whether Canvas could potentially be the platform to use for the purely online programs. As it turned out, that, that wasn't the case. But I kind of stepped in in that context. Um, I'd agreed to be involved in the uh, pilot project with Canvas, um, which commenced with a second year module of mine, an undergraduate module in January of this year. Um, transferring a module over looking at identity, culture and organisation, an elective module with about 45 students, a history of kind of really, really good quality feedback from the students, kind of high levels of feedback from the students. So I was reluctant in one respect to uh, introduce anything significantly new that might um, disturb the feedback and might lead to kind of problems as it were. But I stepped in anyway because I thought, why why not? You know, um, like others have commented, I think I'd had issues with um, the existing VLE um, with Blackboard in particular, its dated nature, its clunky nature, the fact that if you want to do anything interesting, it takes, you know, so much longer and it was high risk, I guess, as well. So we'd kind of fallen into a pattern of behaviour, I suppose, whereby I wasn't really experimenting. And then Canvas came along and I thought, now we have a chance to experiment. In terms of experiences with it, the aesthetics really, really important. I think from a student point of view, students are used to engaging um, with online material, with online platforms that are, that are where there's a lot of thought given to the aesthetics. And that was the case certainly with Canvas. So it was an absolute straightforward uh, win in that respect. So a lot of improvement. And the other one, I think, um, and, and obviously this can be unpacked in a lot of different ways, but functionality, I think fun um, tools available, uh, integration, ease of use of the tools available um, made life much easier. And I certainly find when we moved into the lockdown period, being on Canvas was a real um, lifesaver in a respect. You know, I wouldn't like to have done what I did with Canvas with Blackboard. And I'm really grateful that I had uh, Canvas available to me when we moved into that phase, particularly with respect to things like the conference facility I'd used and the studio facility. I found both of those particularly helpful. The other thing I found really helpful was student analytics, the level of engagement and so on. Perfect. Thank you all for those introductions. Um, seems to be some good sort of positive um, things coming out there in relation to Canvas, particularly around tools. Um, and I'm kind of picking up a theme on with all of you around kind of the tools that encourage active learning within Canvas, which is good. So we'll potentially come back to touch on that in a little bit. Just leading on from something you just said there, Gary, um, in your introduction, I know it's really hard not to be biased when we've got a brand new shiny VLE. Do you think with Vital, it was just kind of um, something that had been overused by people and it was kind of feeling old because we've kind of had it for so long um, and kind of the new interface of Canvas has given everyone a bit of a kind of refreshed view on how they can teach using the VLE or do you think that was down to the tool tools itself? I think it's it's probably partly a bit of both. I mean, the the entire vibe of Vital sort of takes me back to days in the late 90s playing Minesweeper. I don't know if anybody else had that feeling about it, but it definitely had, yeah, it was like a very, a very kind of boxy, yeah, like Windows XP sort of, of look to it. Um, and, you know, that, that does sort of, you know, put you in a particular mind space of thinking, oh, well, this probably is not a very imaginative space to be in. And, and the look of Canvas kind of, um, you know, just, just small things about how you uh, move things around um, and how you engage with the tools that are there sort of feel like they're a space where you can be modern in your thinking. The other thing to say is that actually simply by virtue of having to redesign it, redesign the organisation of stuff because uh, Canvas and Blackboard think so differently, 
because of that it, it does sort of force you into a place where you go right okay what is it that I do want to achieve and maybe you could have mostly got there on blackboard with enough digging about um, and you know enough workarounds you might have got somewhere close but canvas kind of invites you to think of that um, uh, and invites you to sort of redesign uh, your thinking about the module I guess so that's what I would say um, I've got a, a perspective of not having used Vital for too much. Um, I'm a relatively new lecturer to the university. I've been here two years. So the first uh, first time I ran my module, I only found out I was the module coordinator a few weeks in advance. So I was so busy panicking to get through my course that really I, you know, I, I barely looked at, at, at Vital. And then the next year I was really concentrating on how to improve the assessments and, and the way that the course was delivered. So to be honest, I never really looked into making Vital better because it was kind of at the lower end of my priority than actually making my, my teaching and delivery better. Um, and so it became very much just a repository for the lecture slides and the lecture cap, kind of pretty much what I did with it. And I think the difference about Canvas is, of course, you are forced to think about it properly rather than, in my case, inheriting a design from someone else. But also using the commons, I was able to essentially nick really good ideas for layout and stuff from other people. I never knew or found out if there was a way pinch good design ideas from other people in Vital or whether you just really couldn't design something in Vital. But I found a lot of good ideas by looking at other other courses in the Commons in Canvas and I was able to go, oh, that's a really good way of doing that. I'm, I'm going to nick that for my course. And I found that really helpful. Yeah, that's a really good tip as well for anybody listening that is new to Canvas. The, the, the Commons store is um, kind of there's a vast array of uh, different courses and module types and structures in there. It's, it's good to kind of have a look and see what's available and what might work for your courses. And, and not, um, just, not just kind of large scale structures, but actually just individual resources. So I shared a, I wrote a page just the other day about online etiquette for my students. And I just, you know, sent it around the department and said, if you would like to use it, it's now available on Commons. Um, some people have deployed it, some people haven't. Um, so, yeah, just kind of individual little bits that you might find handy as well. That's great. It's really useful. Um, so I know you might have covered this slightly in the, your introductions, but could you just give us a bit of a an up, update on where you guys are with your process of transferring from Vital to Canvas um, and kind of how you found that to date? I don't mind starting that one. I mean, in terms of the um, transferring of existing uh, material, certainly first time in the pilot project. So again, back in January of this year with the second year module that um, um, I'd started with. Uh, the transfer process involved lifting uh, existing material initially at least from within uh, the vital area um, but what I liked in terms of what was available to do next was that I could curate as I saw fit what had been moved across not only in terms of what I could uh, include for students who are coming into the new module um, in the, the new VLE um, not only in terms of uh, how I present the, uh, um, what material I, I share with them but also how I present it. So the transfer across I find relatively straightforward, but I must admit I didn't do the transfer across of material personally. It was done in advance. Um, so I don't know if that has any impact on how we would respond to that question, Scott, but but certainly it was it was it was, it was helpful for me to be able to uh, you know then work with the material transfer directly across and to decide which I wanted to keep, which I wanted to replace, which I wanted to move around and so on. And it made me think actually differently about how the students consume the material that came across and I hadn't really been able to do so previously under the prior VLA. So it made me think fresh about how to present that material. Um, yes, well, I think I think it's certainly true that 
the way the material came across forced you to think about it. I mean, it's partly because it, in a way, it, it almost looked worse in immediate transfer than it did in my ways. I, mean, yeah. I, I think, you know, which is fine. The stuff was there. You could deal with it. Actually, for my pilot module, what I did was actually started with a clean shade to have, slate, I have to say. I Partly that was I didn't have so much material. As I said, my, my module was was a practical module. A lot of the actual sessions were real life in the lab sort of sessions. Um, so it was really background, background material that was there. And uh, as I say, my main interest was in the group work aspects. But so I, for that module, I did start from scratch. For other modules with a lot of material, it probably would be useful to start with the transferred material. But but really, as Gary sort of said, you, you do need to do quite a lot of rearranging at that point. But it does force you to think about what to keep, what to throw away, what uh, you know, how to actually organise the material that you have you have brought across. So that's a good discipline anyway, I think. Yeah, I agree. As uh, somebody already pointed out, you know, to to um to be forced to think about how to use the material in a new context is is a valuable thing, actually. Yeah, for sure. I had a similar sort of thing that um all my material had been transferred over for me last semester and I was glad to see it all in there because it helped me understand something of how canvas was sort of comfortable with the material being organized like what canvases um uh kind of modus operandi was in terms of how one might organize the material and it it became very clear very quickly that the best thing for me to do was actually scrap it all and, and start again <laughs> pretty much in terms of the organization not least because i used to organize stuff by um types of material so i would have the week's powerpoints in one folder i would have uh, reading in another folder and you know all these different contents areas in in vital for different types of material um and then i decided instead to organize by the date so all of this we would sort of move through the course uh purely by uh, chronology rather than anything else and i'd group all of week one's materials together so I was cutting the cake in a completely different um, on, a, on a different axis, really. So it, it was much more helpful to, to rethink it. But I was glad to see the material in there, as I say, in the first place. Yeah, just do a big tidy up operation. I have to say, I completely agree. Mine was was transferred for me and it, it was quite interesting to see what kind of almighty mess it looked, not least because, you know, there was stuff that I hadn't touched in the previous two years. So like a number of you, I started my new course as a blank shell and, and brought across what I needed from the from the transferred course. Um, for me, one of the things that took a lot of time was I had a number of short multiple choice quizzes in my old vital module used for summative and formative assessment. And to be fair, we had been given a heads up that that quiz material in particular might not transfer well. And I can confirm that. Um, so I had a, a lovely solid afternoon going through all my quiz material, correcting things that came over badly, um, in particular things with equations and stuff just yeah, didn't didn't play nicely at all. Um, but again, that had the, the virtue of sort of like forcing me to think about whether these questions were useful. Well, <laughs> if I was going to have to put the effort in then they were going to have to earn their place on, on the course. So that that, that did help, but it, it did take quite a, a fair chunk of my time to sort that out. I think, Scott, there's one other thing I would add, I suppose, when I was looking at the material um, um, being transferred across and whether or not it was a good idea, because part of me thought at the time actually it would be better to start with a blank sheet, not to have material transferred across, because, of course, that would force me probably to think differently. However, 
given the time constraints at the time, I thought it's better to have it moved across and then I can do what I need to afterwards. But I was also thinking about, I used to be um, director of education for one of the subject groups and I used to manage workloads for staff. And we used to have conversations about new modules, new materials, new processes and so on. And at that point, I was I had that hat on. Um, I hadn't done the role anymore, but I was thinking if I was in that job still, thinking about what's the challenge here to try and ensure staff engage with this. What kind of thing do we need to do to make sure they engage with it effectively? They spend their time accordingly. And I suppose that that um, uh, I came to the conclusion that absolutely. For individuals to engage, we need to make sure they've got that material in there, in place as they see fit to use it. But again, given the way that the materials presented when they arrive after that that task is done for them, it it, would, it will compel them to engage and to think again, to think afresh. Um, so at the time I was thinking, it's really important we do this, and it's, I'm glad that um, at the way it's done. Because for those staff who would be reluctant, who wouldn't have time, they'd be time poor quite often. Of course, they'd have many other priorities. It's really important for them that they that, that they have that material there in that way as Canvas uh, presents it. You know, um, so part of my positivity at the time when I'd seen what had happened, and now again, is kind of influenced by that. You know, those those those, those other staff members who may be reluctant, maybe not as uh, positive to engage with VLEs like like I guess we are. Um, they don't need any additional reason not to engage effectively with uh, with the VLE. So that, that was really positive and remains a positive, I think. Thanks, Gary. That's great. Some really interesting points um, that you all took a very similar approach to copying everything across uh, first and sorting your content out from within Canvas rather than just picking only the best elements to take across. Um, so it's really interesting to all talk about that. Um, we're just going to move on to the next section. So I listened to a podcast called The Canvas Casters, um, and if you haven't listened to that yet, um, they share tips and tricks um, and have some really interesting guests that either have used Canvas for a long time and are sharing ex their experience, um, and people that are also quite new to Canvas sharing their experience as well, so it's a good podcast to check out. Um, they have something in their podcast called the Teacher Backpack, so I'm going to pinch that idea slightly and ask you if there's one Canvas tool that you can have in your Canvas backpack um, that wouldn't leave you, what tool would that be? Um, so the thing that I've found really exciting and I'm looking forward to using with my students is that I've been able to integrate um, coding assessments as an external tool directly within Canvas. So I'd been using an external website for students to do assessments where they write a short piece of computer code and it's marked automatically. But for the last couple of years, the students have had to sign up for that individually and access it through a separate website. I've been able to integrate that now into my Canvas course. They literally just click on assessment and it's presented there for them. It has to be said that there have been some technical issues with that um, that I've been chasing down for the last month or so, and that there are still some things that aren't quite right about it yet. But I think anything that presents the material right there for students rather than having to send them off out of external links or make accounts somewhere else is, is useful. So that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to using and is an improvement on my vital course. Mm -hmm. And what's that tool called, Laura? MATLAB Grader. MATLAB Grader, great. So one of the th one of the reasons or one of the things that persuaded me to pilot uh, Canvas in the first place was uh, because my module involved group work, and I had previously used a tool uh, called WebPA. I don't know if any of you come across it previously. One or two nodding, yeah. Um, so WebPA is quite a quite a, a clunky thing, and what it does is it allows students to 
rate theirs and their colleagues' contributions to group work in a way that will allow you to uh, modify an overall grade given for a piece of combined work uh, so that individuals within the group actually get a modified score, so a, a, either a, a higher or a lower score depending on their perceived contribution. Um, that was all great, but it was it's a bit like uh, what Laura was just saying. This was an external tool which wasn't really integrated and, and uh, was variously clunky in the way that it works. And so we've been able to replace that with this tool called Buddy Check, which is a terrible name, as I said before. Or I <laughs> Somebody else told me they thought it was a great name, but I can't see it myself. <laughs> but anyway, this is a, a beautifully integrated tool, actually, um, in uh, Canvas, which does the same job and more. So what's really great about it is if you're doing group work, you need to set up groups within your VLE so that the students can collaborate together, share files, do those kinds of things. Those systems are pretty good in Canvas, actually, quite easy to manipulate. Uh, I found that pretty smooth. But what's great about BuddyCheck is it takes those group sets that you've created and just imports them very straightforwardly for you to set up this assignment where they are rating each other's contribution. OK, so what we're talking about here is they write a group report. I assess the report, give it a mark, but the students access, assess each other's contribution to that by basically answering a set of Likert questions, uh, which you can either use a sort of standardized set, which are rather general, but quite good actually, um, or you can invent your own bespoke questions. And to cut a long story short, the output of that is twofold. BuddyCheck actually produces a really nice report which itemizes the a given student has been given on these different questions, aggregates all that together, along with any comments that the other students may have made anonymously, although students are quite reluctant to do that actually in general, uh, into a kind of report on how they contributed to the group work, which they get back. OK, so that's really nice. The second thing it does, which is what WebPA did, but in a much clunkier way, is to produce uh, a factor, a multiplier of the mark. So if everything's working well and it's a very cohesive group, those multipliers are going to be quite close to one. And so you multiply the base score that you've given for a particular piece of work by this multiplier to alter the mark a little bit. It's not perfect. None of these things are perfect, actually, in the way they work. But what it does do is it causes the students to see that you're paying attention to the fact that some people will have made a greater effort or a lesser effort to the group work. I mean, in the end, you still have to say to groups of students, suck it up. This is what life is like. And you, some, some of the time you're going to feel that you did the effort and somebody else got the benefit. Right? There's an important life lesson in all of that. But the fact that there's a mechanism for at least showing that you're paying attention to that and you're doing something about it actually helps the students' perception of all this quite a lot, actually. And so I would definitely recommend if you can, if people are doing any group work where you're grading a collaborative effort of some kind, then BuddyCheck, which is built in and available to us in Canvas, is a really great way to uh, help the process along in various ways, even if in the end it doesn't really make an enormous difference to the marks. That's not really in a way the point of it. The point of it is A, the students get feedback uh, and B, they they perceive that there's a process in place to at least address any unfairnesses that they may see. And I think that's that's important and useful. And uh, 
So I would definitely recommend that. It's uh, Web PA, you could recommend it, but you'd say it's going to be a struggle to make it work. Whereas honestly, buddy check within Canvas is seamless and very, very straightforward. Absolutely recommend it. Yeah, I would say something um, uh, related, which is simply about the groups, um, the ease of using groups generally, actually, in, in Canvas. It is, again, perfectly possible to do it within Blackboard, um, but actually assigning groups, having students sign themselves up to groups uh, is much more intuitive all round. There's a, a really kind of easy drag and drop thing if you want to assign students manually um, and, and so on. And actually, using the group's space from a student perspective as far as i can tell anyway having not actually been a student in a, in a course um but using the group space seems to be again very intuitive um for file sharing and discussion boards and and things like that so i really like that the other thing i really like um if i could just take maybe a small extra thing in my backpack would be the ease of using um prerequisites for uh, different chunks of canvas material so um, unhelpfully the language of, of canvas has these chunks called modules so that's not very useful um, but you can very easily set one module to be a prerequisite for another which i found very useful in terms of saying to students okay i need you to read this really important information about how the course works and what we'll be doing each week and um, you know a kind of code of conduct for behavior when we're discussing difficult uh, topics I want to know that you've read that and the way that I, I make that happen is is to actually not have any of the rest of the course material unlocked until they have clicked through all of those pages. So um, uh, I, I think the ease of using pre prerequisites would be the other thing that I would want to take in my backpack. I think uh, for, for me, um, it's not a not a, a immediately evident uh, tool in, in some respects, but it would be invaluable. I don't think I could live without it is uh, Studio. Um, and I think, again, how I've used Studio previously um, in respect of the pilot uh, module over the course of lockdown, um, the additional kind of uh, functionality, I suppose, I've been able to squeeze out of Studio that I would never have used in respect of um, uh, Vital. Um, I, I don't think I could live without. I mean, I think when I look back, I've been able to pull together quite quickly recorded messages to go to students, for example, um, at very short notice. Um, in a way that I could rely on. Um, on the back of that, by the way, associated with it, the fact that we've got the um, the closed caption functionality was very helpful too. Um, and again, um, the speed with which those closed captions could be produced, um, albeit with some editing required on my part, especially given my accent, I suppose, um, was was particularly helpful. So that that I, I couldn't live without. Um, there's one, there's one, I mean, um, uh, taking a, a leaf from Freya's book in a sense, there's one other thing I might sneak into the backpack. Um, and it's thinking forward rather than during the course of the pilot project. And it's the accessibility traffic light um, system. So I think that in future is going to become very much invaluable, I think, um, as we move through different iterations of this particular module and future modules as well. I mean, that's really kind of been very helpful in flagging in a way that I can't avoid where there are issues uh, with regard to some of the resources that are available. So just probably in future include that one. Yeah, I would, I would certainly second the thing about the, the closed captions there. I mean, I, I have a 
reasonably standard English accent and when I'm recording things for the purposes of having closed captions on them I try to speak nice and clearly and so on um, I've used Zoom's uh, closed captioning automated uh, service and it was utter drivel I mean it was quite bizarrely beautiful poetry but not at all any of the things I'd said um, and I also used Camtasia's which is what I used to record the things in the first place and that was also I mean that was even worse than Zoom but uh, the accuracy of, of Canvas's studio automated uh, closed captions was quite impressive I thought it still needs some editing particularly for specialist terminology but it's really pretty good I think. Yeah. That's that's really interesting because actually from from a science side we've been moving away from sort of recommending studio for closed captions um, that you actually get more sense out of the closed captions in teams or doing it as a recorded PowerPoint presentation that there's a wider vocabulary and um, a learning aspect to those ones whereas the canvas ones even if you correct something it won't learn to correct it at the moment that might be something that's brought in but um, I, I've been hearing from colleagues particularly you know I'd be interested to know what you think about this Andy but when you're dealing with some very highly technical terms in biochemistry or something that there are real problems with this um, and so people have been moving slightly more towards recording lectures and stuff externally and importing the captions from something like the PowerPoint notations. But I guess we all work out what works for us best. Um, yeah, I, certainly we've been sharing um, particularly egregious stroke of various technical terms. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I think we've got a bit of a mixed economy right now where people are are using things. People are using PowerPoint, as you say, people are using uh, using teams obviously we're also recording uh live sessions either in zoom uh, or in teams and wanting to get captions into those so there's at the moment i don't think the absolute best way of doing all of this and i guess we'll converge on something which works best for our perhaps our particular suite of, of technical terms or something like that in terms of plain english i have been impressed with canvas studios transcription i have to say uh, as Freya just said that's been pretty good um, and uh, yeah, but I, I do know that people with um, uh, accents uh, further from the standard English probably do have a bit of a problem. I have a, a generalised sort of northern English accent, I suppose, or something, and, and Canvas seems to deal with that. Yeah, one thing's for sure, I think we're going to need larger backpacks um, <laughs> if we carry on <laughs> yeah. as we are. But um, yeah, I've heard similar things, to be honest with you, about the captions, um, and I think kind of the they're all going to need a little bit of work from the tutor as input. Um, but I think from my perspective, if we, if we think about it from the students that require these captions, if we're giving them a ballpark figure, 80% accuracy, as opposed to zero captions at all, then I'm sure those that need it will take the 80% accuracy uh, any day. So. Absolutely, absolutely agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the fact that there's something there is, <laughs> Is a big, uh, a big plus, yeah. No, that's Yeah, possibly, unless what you get back is actually factually incorrect because it's swapped one term for another. Because actually, yeah. the the eighty percent you get is the hello, welcome to biochemistry lecture three mm. or whatever. And actually, what it totally messes up is this is a this is a, a an L amino feline or whatever, and you get something that's completely bizarre and makes no sense. So yeah, that's true. I mean, I think I think you do have to have a look through for technical terms. I think what you're on a hiding is nothing to think you can edit it down to perfection, right? That's just going to be a never ending task. And I don't think any of us have got the time for that. I think we probably have got time just to scan through 
for particularly egregious things and, and sort that out, that's probably okay, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's, it's also really worth, I mean, if I haven't, I haven't tried it with any of the technical terms that that I've used in my own discipline and I haven't tried some of the tools that Laura was saying but I think if there's a, a learning aspect to some of those other ones I think you know it of course we're never going to reach 100% accuracy um uh, not in the foreseeable future at least but uh, I think it is worth um worth knowing about and testing out the ones that might actually work uh, work harder for certain disciplines yeah mm -hmm. I, I agree, and that will hopefully help. This stuff will sort of like settle as we discover what works. But um, Gary, I think you brought up issues of workload. Something that has been mm -hmm. circulating amongst people I've spoken to is this feeling that it takes you an awful lot longer to record, you know, two 20-minute lectures, check all the captions, correct them, upload them, than it ever did for you to go in and give your 45-minute lectures off, off spec in a lecture theatre. So there really is a significantly increased workload here. Yeah. Well, it's front-loaded, isn't it? I mean, you know, hopefully we can reuse these things uh, to some extent, at least, and the Labour will have been up front, I suppose. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's not a not a trivial task to do these things. I think we have to be non-precious about uh, the gaffes that are in these things, even though they're recorded and not worry about it, just like we wouldn't in a in an ordinary lecture, actually. Yeah, yeah. Doing multiple takes is definitely not an option. No, I think, uh, I mean, we've, we've had staff members do that in the past. I mean, I've had, um, but not with Canvas, I must admit, um, with our standard um, streaming uh, service, where for whatever reason there's been a technical glitch, whether it's audio issues or video issues, or sometimes both. And then uh, the staff members have felt up, uh, um, obliged to, after the event, record the full lecture again. There have been occasions when they've said things in the midst of, uh, video recording, but they then wanted to go back to fix and take themselves to go back and re-record uh, the lecture. Um, not necessarily something that um, they've been forced to do, I must admit. No one has sat down and said, you must go back and fix that, but they felt obliged um, uh, for peace of mind as much as anything uh, to go back and do so. I think it's probably something similar with regard to the closed captions. For peace of mind, um, in many cases, um, we would go back and look and change and so on. Although, uh, Laura, obviously your point about um, some of the terminology in the transcript uh, being paramount is, is significant too. I mean, some of our um, subject areas, our economic subject area, probably in accounting and finance, for example, you know, getting some of the equations wrong or some of the models terminology wrong could cause significant issues. Really to appeals, of course, from students who re repeat exactly what you've told them in a lecture and an example essay response. So absolutely, I mean, it, it's a significant chunk of work that. To it is a chunk of work, yeah. I mean, the one that amused me most was uh, I recorded, I'm the director of admissions for life sciences, and I rec recorded something about the typical offers that we make and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, and studio garbled all the places where I said ABB into A baby, for example, and things like that, <laughs> where I, I then had to go back and make sure they were absolutely all correct, because this yeah. is crucial to uh, to what we're telling the prospective students about, about what sort of offer they might receive. So but but yeah. even just the difference between, you know, has it has it captured that I've said is as opposed to isn't or does as opposed to doesn't. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So that 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 can change the entire medium of interpretation of something you know regardless of of technical terminology so yeah i mean we're perhaps digressing somewhat but i think uh yeah i, I like that it's mostly reliable at least because it's it's certainly less work to do afterwards cool thank you very much for those thoughts so just 
kind of going back towards this this backpack of tools um the last question on this what if anything do you feel is missing from your kind of canvas backpack of tools so thinking back to some of the things you maybe used to use in vital or maybe just just something that you've come across when you've kind of been looking at um, a different way to present your content in canvas is there anything that you've you've thought is missing that you could do within the backpack that you'd like canvas to develop so my my wish list thing was part of assessments so you could set up quizzes very easily in canvas and i i do sort of like have some some little formative quizzes and you can have set up multiple attempts and set it to keep the highest mark for a student however if you set up assessments uh, that isn't a quiz so a tool through for example this automated um a tool matlab grader that i use if i set it to have multiple attempts that I can't ask for the highest uh, mark of those attempts to be um, put into the gradebook. Uh, it'll just take the last one that the student submits, not the highest. And that means I'm faced with the prospect of being fair to the students by going through multiple submissions by over 200 students and checking that they they each have the highest grade they they achieved rather than the last grade they achieved actually in the gradebook. And I have to say, I'm not looking forward to this. And it seems to me, not a difficult thing to ask for, but isn't currently doable. Yeah, that does not sound like fun. Um, yeah, so I've, I've got a couple of things which I used to use easily and to reasonable effect within Vital. Um, one of them is the sort of timed release of items. Uh, so, you know, if you upload a, a file or you put in a, a the equivalent of what is a page in Canvas, if you do that within uh, vital I think the, the terminology was in fact an item um, it was very easy at the bottom just to kind of set when exactly that would be editable uh, uh, viewable rather by students now I've found a way by which I can make a file viewable from a certain time within canvas but it, it doesn't seem to be so easy just to um, to say I, I don't want this thing to be unlocked until you know, six o'clock tonight or, or whatever. I know it's possible to do it with an entire uh, Canvas module, an entire chunk of, of pages that you can do. But if I didn't want to proliferate dozens and dozens of modules, then uh, then that that's a, a thing that I did find easier and vital. The other thing is um, uh, journals and kind of reflective writing stuff. You and I have been in touch about, and I think um, using Pebblepad may be the, uh, the the nicest way to do it, but it seems like using a sledgehammer to crack a walnut really, uh, when all I really need is a, a kind of notepad type place for students to to do some journaling work. I mean, you know, we'll we'll see how it works. I've not used Pebblepad or Atlas before, so it may actually prove sufficiently elegant and more flexible than Vital's journaled tools ever were in ways that mean that I actually much prefer it but it it seems an awfully long way round the, the yeah yeah the, there seems a, a a big gap doesn't there between yeah. the vast um amount of things that something like Pebblepad can offer you yeah. um and say for example Blackboard's journal tool which was essentially yeah. just switch it on and the, the students could use it when the transition was first made, I'd anticipated that we would have greater um, control over the front end. Um, that is things like the landing page, um, the visuals, you know, what students um, encounter when they arrive at a given page. Um, so I'd anticipated having more control and, and an opportunity, I think, for a degree of additional creativity 
so we could move away from a kind of presentation easy more easily move away from presentation and material in a chronological matter for example not that there's anything wrong with that per se but I, I i just thought at the time and i haven't heard anything since that would suggest otherwise that we should have had greater ability i think to be able to make decisions about you know whether we want to present things in magazine format rather than in this kind of format now i think it can be done but the steps required to do that seem pretty substantial um, and in the end therefore we're going to we're going to have uh, setups in each of the pages, the landing page is looking very, very similar, you know, with lists of things or maybe with some imagery that we can click on to get into pages, for example. But I'd anticipated more um, ability to curate, to be more creative, you know, to play around with the visuals, um, to present but things any, very different. Any page can be the landing page there, Gary, yeah, you know yeah. that. Yeah, I do. I think it was it was the, the general setup. I suppose what I had in mind was uh, potentially having an, uh, the, the landing image, but greater flexibility over how students engage with what we have in that image and greater opportunity, greater ease of use, if you like, and uh, perhaps presenting them with a, a narrative, a story, if you like, to take them through the module content rather than you know, the usual kind of temptation to deliver on a week by week basis. So it's it's doable, but it just, again, still feels a little bit uh, clunky from my point of view. I don't know, maybe I'm asking for too much in uh, suggesting that that's something that's missing at the moment. I'd be really interested to find out how you'd envisage that, actually, because I've, I've tried to work quite hard with my module to make the front page at least quite welcoming and clickable. Um, eventually, you get forced back into list of stuff approach. There's there's not a huge amount I can do about that. But I, I did try to do some of the things you've, you've done, whereas rather than just talking about everything straight away that I've got a set of clickable images leading to different sections with a guide on which ones you should be looking at first. Mm -hmm. So I, I have tried to do that, but I think perhaps you have something more ambitious in mind and it would be interesting to know how you saw that. I think I think it was. Um, so we, we're doing something similar at the moment. We're working on a template um, to be used by staff in the school that's similar to that. We've got images, students click on the images they go through to the, the back content, but eventually you land on a kind of set of, a set of uh, materials in the usual way i think what it what it wanted to do was to try and kind of be a little bit more creative to play around actually not necessarily knowing exactly what it would look like <laughs> until it had a chance to play around and develop something different um we'd had um a model that was designed by the existing online partner where they were moving to a magazine format for presenting content it, do it doesn't necessarily sound great in the sense that you know it, it can appear perhaps a little bit um uh, shallow in some respects, you know, if you're moving to a magazine format to present serious academic matter, you know, does that really make sense? Is that really what we want to do? But it looked really good. And it, it sort of anticipated being able to do something a little bit similar, or at least being a little bit more creative and having greater control over what we could present than in the end we've had. So I don't know that that's ever going to be possible <laughs> or uh, as we move forward, it may be too ambitious, too much to expect. Thanks for that, Gary. Um, just move on to these final two questions and then we'll just wrap up with any final thoughts. So that's OK. So does anybody have any resources that they can share with anybody that might be listening, um, trying to get a little bit more information about Canvas in general? That might be Liverpool staff or anybody further afield that might be using Canvas for the first time. Any resource across that be worth sharing with others? Um, well, I can say one thing. I'm not not, um, not so much a resource, but I've got a. Uh, a video about group work and, and buddy check, which uh, has done the rounds variously in the university, and um, that's certainly available if anybody would like to use it to familiarise themselves. So it's not something that they can use in Canvas themselves. It's a, 
uh, a, a sort of um, familiarization resource, if you like, if that would be helpful. Great, that would be Andy. I just want to second Laura's uh, suggestion from earlier and, and uh, remind people about the Commons feature. I think um, it's incredibly helpful, even just for sort of seeing how people are using Canvas, uh, as, as well as, as I say, kind of taking little elements, perhaps a quiz, perhaps a page, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I would, I would check out Commons at the first available opportunity. I've also found it useful for to have the image store so you can't we, we do have to be careful about copyright of what we put up it's I I think it's easy to get a little bit too casual about that but um, maybe let's not get into to bad habits about uploading copyright material so I've been finding access to accessible non-copyrighted images to populate my course with really useful that's great it's a really valid point as well I've also found it really useful. I don't know if any of you have seen um, Canvas themselves as, as the LMS um, on YouTube. They do um, a lot of live content videos um, and they tend to schedule all those um, a couple of weeks in advance so you know what they're talking about. Um, a couple of recent ones have been around uh, customising home pages. Um, they, get, they get guests on from kind of different uh, schools further education colleges, higher education settings uh, to talk about what they're doing with things like customising home pages for students, um, the analytics tool on how they can be kind of used more uh, frequently, engaging in group work, things like that. So um, yeah, so Canvas on YouTube is a good one to have a look at. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the Canvas Can Canvas Casters podcast, which is it's not an official Canvas um, podcast but it's a couple of guys from the states um basically just talking really honestly about canvas and how they've used it and have some really interesting guests on there as well so that's, that's a good one to listen to okay so the final question from me um ready to you is if you could give one tip to anybody that's just about to take on this migration at liverpool from uh vital to canvas um could be any shortcuts uh, tips or just kind of icebergs to avoid uh, what one tip would that be yeah I would say don't panic I know that's easier said than done um, and uh, yeah it's not necessarily very practical advice except to say that the 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 enormity of the migration can be overwhelming in the abstract but I think once you're in there and playing around with stuff uh, it quite quickly becomes uh, obvious that it's it's a reasonably friendly environment. Certainly to do stuff, you, you know, if if you're not trying to do anything complex, uh, then it's incredibly easy just to sort of get the hang of it. Um, and I think we've all got some um, sandbox modules that we can just sort of play around in. So just get in there, press some buttons. It won't break and just, yeah press buttons and, and try things out. That's what I would say. I would say the corollary to that, though, is, is to start sooner rather than later, um, because some buttons that I pressed didn't do what I expected to do. And, you know, 90% of it goes really well. And then I've spent a month on a 10% annoying thing that's just really irritating me. Um, and you might as well find those bugs sooner rather than later. 
yes, certainly if you have got a particular thing in mind that you very much want to do. I had a, a chat the other day with somebody who wanted to get a Twitter widget into a Canvas page and she'd been wrestling with it for, you know, three days solidly or something and, and just not managed it. Um, and I think I managed to get it sorted for following a user, but not a hashtag. And, you know, it was a very specific thing that, that she wanted to get sorted. Um, and yeah, obviously went down a rabbit hole of, um, uh, yeah, canvas and Twitter widget hell. <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up editing far too much kind of like basic HTML-esque code just to make something look the, the way I needed it to look. And that, yeah, that just went into, went into a space I didn't really want to be in at the time. So Scott, I would suggest editing out this uh, last couple of minutes of discussion of the management school staff might run. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think I would say um, uh, the, the tip for anyone, I suppose, one would be persevere, take the opportunity to uh, do what you can with the tools that you have at your disposal. Don't just fall back into prior habits in terms of how you present your material, the kind of approaches you might take. It's understandable that staff might do that in some respects, but here's an opportunity, I think, to do things differently. The other one is um, not simply to struggle on your own. If there's something you want to do, um, uh, you know, whether it be a, a Twitter widget, for example, or something else for that matter, not understanding how the Turnitin process, the Turnitin integration works, take opportunity to reach out to others um, and discuss with them what you want to do. Um, and typically, I think now, given the pilot uh, phase we've had and additional resources that are available, there'll be answers and guidance on the vast majority of things that are available. But again, persevere with it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with that. Just just use the experience of the people around you. And, and you know, there's a lot of it now. People, a lot of people have been playing with it. I, I feel even though I was in the pilot, my, my module was relatively uncomplicated. And I feel that lots of people have already surpassed my expertise while I've been buggering about with admissions over the summer, for example, which as you can imagine anybody who wasn't involved in it can imagine what a nightmare that actually was. There we are. <laughs> no, great tips there. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, and thank you very much for, for sharing your experiences across the whole podcast. Um, just for anyone listening, if you have got any questions or further thoughts or, or any more discussion you want to add, uh, then please do get in touch with us. It's CIE at liverpool.ac.uk. Um, thank you very much for listening and join us again on the next CIE podcast. <laughs>